Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I am joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Brooke Merritt. Hi. Josh Dean. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Don't make me take off my sunglasses. And on this show, uh, we watch a movie every uh, episode, and then we suggest a new movie to watch for the next episode. You can learn what that new movie is at the end of this. Watch it on any of the streaming services that it's available on or anywhere you can find it, and then uh, join us for the discussion of the next one. Today's movie has been selected by Aaron, and it is... The 1999 Martin Scorsese film, Bringing Out the Dead. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But first, we're going to talk about things that we've been watching lately. Uh, Aaron, why don't you start with what you've been watching lately? Uh, you know, man, I've, I've been watching a lot of cartoons lately. Um, I have been re-watching the uh, original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cartoon. And that has been wonderful. Um, outside of that, not much. Uh, finishing up Lock and Key, I've got a couple episodes left of that. It's pretty good. It's uh, a, a twist happens uh, about halfway through that that ties it a little bit more to the original sh- uh, source material. Um, but that is it, man. I kind of have to follow Aaron's lead with that. I have there's so many things that look so good out there that I want to watch, and I just have not had a chance to catch up on anything. So I'm hoping I can take a couple of days and just do nothing but watch watch streaming shows. Um, there is a new show on I think it's HBO, maybe Showtime. Uh, I can't remember. Um, it's been out about a month now, but I'm only like two weeks in. It's called Run. Uh, with Merritt Weaver, mm, who I'm yeah. a big fan of, and it's it's off to a good start, so it has it has promise. I think it'll be pretty good. Um, that's the only new show I've really been watching. What's that one about? Uh, you know, I the first couple episodes, it's kind of hard. To, it doesn't really say much about what's going on. That's kind of what's interesting about it. I think it was co-created or somehow Phoebe Waller-Bridge is involved. Um, so the yep. first setup is these, this couple meets up on a train. They had what, what it seems like is dated years ago and he's kind of called her back into his life, but we don't really know why or where it's going. So kind of like a suspense romance type, you know, strangers on a train, I guess, kind of. Okay. They made a pact in college when they were 19 that if at any point in their lives they wanted to run away from whatever they were living through, that they would text each other, run, and they would meet in a specific location, get on a train, and just forget about everything else. And okay. what's this on? It's on HBO. Okay, thank oh, you. Nice. Could not remember. Yeah. Yeah, the episodes are about 25-ish minutes long, so it's pretty easy to catch up. There's only four episodes out right now. I think it's out every Sunday. Okay. Yeah, that's right. I think somebody on here talked about it before. Yeah, I think last week Alicia might have mentioned it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where it was kind of sounding familiar with the the 25 minutes and the the Phoebe Waller-Bridge or... uh, Phoebe Waller-Cates, I believe she called her for at first and then <laughs> <corrected> herself. <laughs> That's funny. 
Yeah, she's an executive producer on it. Um, and then her friend, who's actually the friend that's referenced in Fleabag, her blonde friend who mm-hmm. has like the Dribble Cafe or whatever, Hamster Cafe, is the girl who's actually the creator of this. I see. Ah. I think Fleabag was one of my... F- Fleabag was one of my favorite shows from last year. It was pretty good. Agreed. Zach, how about yeah. you? What have you been watching? Uh, well, Run. Uh, just picked that up. Um, and uh, Dom Hall Gleason's in it as well. And um, I uh, I like him a lot. I think he's really good um, in most things that he does. I'm okay with it so far. I actually, um, I like Merritt Weaver, but for some reason, I'm not buying her in this role as much. Um, I don't know. I'm having a bit of trouble with the chemistry uh, between the two. Uh, yeah, it's weird because I mean, like, I I feel like all the components are there for me to like it or something I should enjoy. Um, but I'm just having a hard time really like loving it right now. Yeah. Um. So I'm hoping that they put some more spins into it and have some more fun with it. Um. Because as it is right now, I'm just I'm kind of like eh. Um. But it is getting a lot of uh, notoriety. Um, and so, you know, that's good. Um, it's different people making different stuff, uh, which is nice. Um, other than that, I finished The Outsider. I really, 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 really enjoyed that. Um, Dale, you had mentioned it before, how the first two episodes you thought were the best. Yeah. I think I, I agree with that. Jason Bateman as a director and just in general is really awesome. But overall, it was a great series. I really, really enjoyed it. No, Zach, that one is a, a Stephen King property, correct? Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you really liked um, Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. H- how does it compare to the Castle Rock? I would say Castle Rock Season 2 is probably one of my favorite things that they've adapted in terms of Stephen King works. Um, but I also don't believe that that's actually based off of a novel that he's written. I think it's based off of characters. Um, so it's like up there in terms of like suspense and general, just like, um, cool, uh, occult, like weird stuff happening. Um, definitely like the whole idea behind it is how can two, how can a guy be in two places at one time? And then like, they kind of get into the supernatural and all that stuff. I, I personally love supernatural shit. So, um, I think that like with that being the case in um, Castle Rock as well, because essentially that's sort of Castle Rock season one situation is kind of similar to The Outsider. Um, so it's like right up there with it. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, I finally watched a movie I'd been hearing about for, I mean, 20, 30 years. Um, Hollywood Shuffle, Robert Townsend. Um, I don't know about that one. Uh it was it was written by him and uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans. This is way before In Living Color, um, and uh, it's about uh, hypothetically the frame story is about a black actor in Los Angeles trying out for a part in like a really stereotypical black exploitation movie, and he feels really bad about you know portraying his race so negatively but there are just skits in between the the frame story um and uh you can kind of see where like the idea for in living color came from and uh, they're pretty funny uh you really young damon wayans is in it and uh, paul mooney and um john witherspoon so just like kind of an all-star cast That's cool. uh, of, 
Yeah. It was really, really funny. And then um, uh, just last night, I watched uh, Taxi Driver, uh, which was really appropriate for <laughs> our discussion tonight. Because <laughs> I feel like it's, uh, I feel like this movie we're going to talk about is a sequel, a spiritual sequel to Taxi Yeah, it is a bit. Very much so. It was written by the same person. Right. It was adapted right. by the same person. Oh, yeah. The screenwriters were the same. Um, it's also the screenwriter for one of the ones in the middle. Um, Raging Bull, maybe? I think that's right. Dale, what have you been watching recently? Um, <laughs> do I have to? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Stop spoiling it and you're going to be okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I'm still firmly in the 90 Day Fiance world. Um, there is so much content. I cannot believe how much there is. I actually um, sort of went and made the mistake of adding it up last night, how much I've watched of it so far, like how many hours. And uh, I was kind of shocked and alarmed to discover that I had watched over 110 hours of 90 Day Fiance related stuff in the last three weeks so um lots of that um and uh i uh i also started re-watching the jeremy brett version of sherlock holmes the um that adaptation um those were shown a lot on mystery um and right now if you want to watch some of them uh four of the seven volumes or seven season-esque things that the way they produce that show the like when the episodes came out and how long they were and all that's really confusing and weird but they released it as seven volumes on dvd and so if you want to stream it you can do it either through britbox or on amazon you can add britbox as a a sub subscription and watch the first uh, the first four of seven volumes of the show, which is about 18 or 19 episodes, I think. Um, and those are all like in the 50 minute range. So, um, I think it's the best portrayal of the character ever. I think it's the best Sherlock Holmes that's ever been. Um, they only stopped at doing it in 94 because uh, Jeremy Brett sadly passed away that year. Um, and it's one of those like intriguing things that uh, uh, I think Jeremy, I think the age was 62, but uh, Arthur Conan Doyle said that uh, Sherlock Holmes also had died at 62. So it's kind of strange that they, the actor and the character both died at the same age. Yeah, but he was he was really good, really excellent in it. Um, there's two different guys that play John Watson on the series. The first two volumes are the original guy, and then it switches to the other guy for the other uh, seasons. And I think the second guy is a lot better, um, but it's not it's not a huge difference. I think that the the, uh, the first actor is fine, but I think that the second actor and Jeremy Brett have better screen chemistry together. They're kind of funnier as a, as a duo. So, 
Um, and yeah, and sadly, that's all I have to report because <laughs> there's only so many hours in the day for non 90 day fiance stuff. And I had to watch this movie for this show. So, um, I fully support um, you, Dale. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would be the first person to jump on somebody for watching a show like this. Um, I'm not going to sit here and justify it here. I could, I, I, <laughs> I, I would make the argument. Um, but I feel like, um, I don't need to ruin any more lives than I have already. Um, so, <laughs> Uh, I just want to know. I want to know what you're going to do with all of this wonderful knowledge about what people do in the 90 days that they're engaged. Well, I mean, like as far as like something I've learned from the show, like something that the show actually does teach you, is what the process is like if you want to marry somebody from another country, and this. 90 day visa thing is one way of doing it. And it's this incredibly strange process where you apply for a visa. You have to spend thousands of dollars to get it. You have to meet a bunch of criteria, including meeting the person in person at least once before you apply for it and all of that. And then they're given a 90 day visa to come to the country and they have to marry you within those 90 days or they go back, they get deported back to where they came from. Now, if hmm. they marry you, then a couple months after they marry you, they get a green card. And once they get the green card, they can work. But so when the people come over for this whole thing, like it's especially like hard in like, uh, really like patriarchal societies like if if men are coming into the u.s from really patriarchal societies and they can't work and they're trying to like meet everybody's family and understand what america's like and decide if they really want to get married and they can't work until some unspecified number of months after they get married for real and then they get their green card and then they can sort of work their way toward um full citizenship but it's it's just this incredibly strange process. So, oh, good thing I'm already married. I don't have to deal with that. Yeah, <laughs> because otherwise, valuable, valid, valid option. Yeah. Well, and my <laughs> wife became an American citizen in the '90s, so I didn't have to worry about that. So, there's that too. And no, she wasn't born in the '90s. You sickos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, Speaking of sickos, uh, we watched this movie called Bringing Out the Dead. Um, Aaron suggested it. Um, I realized about five minutes in that I had already seen this movie. Um, is there anyone who watched this for the first time? Yes. Okay. Oh, Zach has watched it for the first time. So, Zach, we'll start yes. with you. What did you think of Bringing Out the Dead? Um, man, I felt like I was in a fever dream. Um, and that I also sort of very similar to a lot of like drug experiences that I've had. Um, I don't know, man. I was like, I was like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of Scorsese movies, like some of the bigger ones and the more uh, well-known ones. Um, I have seen Taxi Driver, but it's been a long time. Um, so yeah, it was just like 
I don't know. There was a lot going on for me that I wasn't invested in. Um, did you and, see the Irishman uh, last year? I I did see the Irishman. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Shutter Island. Um, yeah. Should I think of a couple other ones? I don't think I've seen Raging Bull, which I should see. But I mean, I, most of his stuff I enjoy. Um, this might be my least favorite Scorsese film. Yeah. I don't know what it, it was. Really, just a lot. I don't know if it was because of the '90s or if it was because of Nicolas Cage. Um, there was a, the cast was amazing. I mean, there was people in the cast that were even just like side characters that you see for one scene that are now like bigger actors, more well-known. Yeah. Um, I love to, I love some Tom Sizemore, uh, yeah. you know, he's just bashing shit. Um, Did you see Ving Batista? Rames. Batista. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was great. The nurse from Scrubs was also a nurse in this too. Yeah, at the very end. I was just end. like, this is, this yeah. is a great cast. Um, I mean, I didn't hate it. I, it, I've seen much more, you know, awfulness than this, uh, in terms of like bad movies, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It was, I'm here. I'm curious to hear what other people think or feel. Um, cause you know, like it's a Scorsese film and I, I like Scorsese. So yeah. Brooke, how about you? You know, for what it is, I don't want to say I liked it because it's so bleak and dark, but I I didn't have a, a problem with it. I mean, I, it, I think for what it was, it's exactly what it should be uh, in that there is really no plot, but that's appropriate for what it is. I don't feel like it has a plot. It is really, you know, feverish and frantic and um, kind of a roller coaster. And I, I, I mean, I think it's well made. I, I respect it for what it is. I respect it for what it is. I had seen it when it first came out, so I I seeing it when it first came out, which was, you know, quite some time ago, and now seeing it yeah. older and then also being in the medical field and kind of looking at it from that kind of viewpoint, uh, I I think I could appreciate it more now. I mean, my dad was a paramedic and he owned an ambulance service. My brother is a paramedic. So just the the weight and the claustrophobia of that job, uh, I could could appreciate that side of it. As far as Scorsese, I have seen most of his films, if not all, probably uh, quite a significant number. Uh, It did definitely, I go back to what Josh said, Taxi Driver, it of course reminded me of that, Um, you know, that that New York uh, frantic vibe that you see in so many New York movies. Yeah, my question was going to be, is there a Scorsese movie that you like less than this one? That I like less than this one? I'd have to... mm, I'd have to really take a look. Um, Okay. I don't... Nothing springs to mind, that's fine. I'll think about it. Yeah, yeah, no. It was one of the ones... uh, Oh, Last Temptation of Christ. We mentioned that one as far as the writing. That one did not. Mm-hmm. I liked that less. I was not a fan of that one. Okay. Josh, how about you? So I first saw this uh, in college, I guess, when it came out. And um, it was one of those, I guess that's when my, my interest in movies was really ramping up. Like I'd always watched movies, but um, so it, it really got under my skin when I first saw it. Um, and I bought the book and I was like, I want to understand this movie. I want to like get deep into it and um, figure out all the allegory and the metaphor. And that's why I like, I read the book and it did not help me in the slightest. 
And, uh, but I've always liked it though. The only thing when I first saw it that bugged me was, um, Patricia Arquette and Nicolas Cage, both their performances are dialed down to almost hypnotism levels, like their (laughs) delivery. Um, It's just so low and slow that I was really frustrated with both of them the first time I saw it. And the more I've seen it, this is like my fourth or fifth time watching it, maybe. Um, I I appreciate at least Nicolas Cage's performance more. Um, Patricia Arquette, besides True Romance, I can't say that I've ever... Does it benefit from repeat viewings? I think so. Yeah. When you kind of let go of expecting a A story, like a linear plot. Yeah. (laughs) And you just get that. It's like a Beck song sort of where you you get the feeling more than the, the narrative. Then, um, yeah, I, I like it more. And I, I like Scorsese kind of spreading his, um, wings a little bit and trying the, almost an Oliver Stone approach Mm. to like editing and everything. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I I still like it. I think it still holds up, but um, yeah. So yeah, I had seen it before. um, And when I realized that I'd seen it before, I started to go, Oh no. Cause I remember uh, not caring for it too much. Uh, And while I was watching it, I was remembering that, when I watched it before, I couldn't really put my finger on what I didn't like. It like I couldn't nail it down. Um, the 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 no plot or the just sort of you know random series of events uh, feel of it does that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily bother me. Um, I did feel like Nicolas Cage and Patricia Arquette were basically playing like farcical versions of David Duchovny and Tay Leone. Like they were <laughs> that dialed down and monotone. They're just like, that kind of performance going on. Um, one of the things that bugged me the first time I saw it, that didn't bug me as much this time, um, I guess, cause I knew it was coming um, but I got really focused on his relationship with his fellow paramedics the first time. Like, you get invested in John Goodman's character, and then he's just gone. And they're like, oh, okay, well, let's get invested in Ving Rames's character, and then he's gone. And then you get Tom Sizemore, and they're literally all 40-minute chunks. Like, they're, they all have equal, equal time in the movie. So that is kind of discombobulating. I think intentionally. So I think you're not supposed to feel, um, any, any sense of stability while you're watching the movie. Um, the fact that, um, you know, the, the guy that they thought was a suicide at the end turns out to be the drug dealer that Patricia Arquette went to like that twist is, is decent. Um, but I think my main problem with the movie is tone. It's weirdly atonal, um, especially for Scorsese, because he's so good at blending music with his movies. He's he's so tuned into music. Like he's made a number of music documentaries, and he's obviously like a, a big Rolling Stones fan and all that kind of stuff. 
this movie, every single song that they used seemed like they just had the rights or they just like some random person picked it and it played. It was never diegetic, meaning it didn't come from the radio. It wasn't somebody like in the movie playing the music. It was stamped on there and 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 this this thing going on. So you would have like, you know, it starts with all the kind of bluesy Rolling Stones kind of stuff. And then there's like this whole like horrible sequence that happens to what's the frequency Kenneth. And then there's a random scene with Nicolas Cage and Patricia Arquette that goes on with these are the days by 10,000 maniacs, which is like an upbeat song. (laughs) Um, And then when you get to the part, by the time you get to like Tom Sizemore and like some of the drug effects where they're like speeding up the footage and making everything like kind of wash and, neon lights and all that kind of stuff it's like now it looks like they've they're shooting a music video but they're not putting music underneath it this scene could have used a soundtrack and it would have been great and they didn't they'd never go for that they never make anything cool they never make anything fit um and maybe that's all by design maybe that's all the way it's the way it's supposed to be um there was there were a couple of, of uh, special mentions or honorable mentions I wanted to give out um, for for weirdness in this. Um, one of them was there's a scene toward the end where he and Patricia Arquette go and like sit down at the hospital for like the fifth time in the movie that they've done that, and the camera cuts to a different shot of her like three times in a row. Yes. Before yes. going to him. It's like, were you out of coverage? Ugh. Does this mean something? What the hell was that for? <laughs> I, I literally out loud said, what the fuck was that? And then, yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> like he keeps seeing Rose, the girl that he intubated her stomach three times in a row. Like, in the faces of everybody on the street or whatever. And there's a scene at the end where it's literally everyone is her. And that one, I was like, now, if you wanted to put the perfect music for this, it would be, I'm every woman. (laughs) That would be the perfect, the perfect soundtrack for this, this scene. Um, I didn't, I don't hate this movie. Um, I just don't think it is uh, there's just not there's just not much there to to hold on to Um, and it's not a movie that I would go out of my way to watch again or recommend to someone especially if like there's better Nicolas Cage movies there's better Scorsese movies um, there's better Tom Sizemore movies Um, (laughs) (laughs) oh only a couple, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a short list. <laughs> Just barely. Um, yeah, there's even better uh, Mark uh, uh, Mark, Anthony. Mark Anthony Mark Anthony movies. So yep. um, there's ones where he's not playing Bubs from The Wire. And yes, I did <laughs> notice that Omar from The Wire was in this very briefly. Yeah. So Aaron, yeah. several people from The Wire were in. This. Aaron, as I feel like I ask you every time. We, we do one of your suggestions. What the hell, man? <laughs> man, you know, I, 
I grew up watching Taxi Driver and things like that. I really enjoyed Scorsese. And so this was one of the first Scorsese films I actually got to go see in theaters. And I hated every second of it, man. Mm-hmm. I hated every second of it. <laughs> um, but then some years later, I caught it on HBO. And I sat down and I'm watching it and I'm just like, man, I, the bleakness of this movie, the, the unrelenting despair of this movie is kind of beautiful. And I watched it and I just, I immediately went and bought it and I've watched this movie hundreds of times literally and it it just it gets better with each viewing in my opinion um i think nicholas cage's understated performance uh, as frank is is fantastic um I, he's so much of a broken man just completely destroyed by his career and the fact that he has not been able to save anybody in over a year. It's brutal. Mm -hmm. And the scenes, um, you know, the, the different, the different partners he has, each one brings out a little something different in him. Um, and really the only one that has anything of substance to say towards the story is Ving Rhames' character telling him that uh, he can't escape those ghosts. And that's just watching him beat himself up over what it's, it's two hours long, almost exactly. Yeah. Um, just seeing him completely beat himself up for two hours over one mistake seeing okay. every little thing that he does as a failure not being able to accept that it's it's sometimes just out of his hands i mean shit happens and right. and seeing that tear him down little by little as depressing as it sounds man it there's beauty and tragedy, and I found this movie absolutely beautiful. Okay, that's fair enough. Um, there's this other Nicolas Cage movie where he's going through a really rough time that I think is many orders of magnitude better than this, called Leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> and that's why I felt like this performance is such a such a letdown. Um, he's also working with Patricia Arquette, who was his wife at the time. And it's almost like they cast them so that they could get some chemistry and they they left their chemistry at home. Like this was the beginning of the end. I think they divorced like a year <laughs> later. Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. So um, I also did some reading up um, a little bit on the production of the movie. 
this was uh, maybe the only time that Martin Scorsese was under contract to make a movie um, where he didn't have very much creative control of a lot of aspects of it. Um, so that might make that might have an impact on things. Uh, Nicholas Cage was not the first choice to play the lead character in this movie. The first choice was Edward Norton. And hmm. I watched like at least half of this movie with that knowledge and went every one of these scenes would have been better with Edward Norton. Like every one of them. 1999 Edward Norton would have been perfect for this movie. Um, See, I, I kind of am more with, with Aaron on this one. Like, I mean, I think this was, I think the parts where it's Nick Cage and he's wallowing in what's going on and he's not talking to Patricia Arquette because those scenes were terrible, I thought. But I, I felt like he played the the tone pretty well of the breaking down and the melting down and that emotional just being distraught and falling apart and, you know, am I doing what I should be doing? Could these people have been saved by somebody else? I thought he actually played most of that well. Uh I don't think, and Edward Norton, God, he's amazing. I mean, incredible. I just don't know that, I don't think, I think he would have been a little more polished than he needed to be. I think that Nick Cage's performance was not very polished and was kind of all over the place, made it a little more appropriate for the frenetic pacing of the movie. One of my one of my favorite scenes of this movie is when uh, he goes in to talk to his boss right before they put him with Ving Rhames. Yeah. <laughs> and his boss just refuses to fire him. And he's like, no, no, you be a man. You know, you, you just got to take a stand about these things. Just fire me. You and, and, and then he just like weakly hits the desk. He's like, you said you would fire me next time. I'll fire you tomorrow. It's it's fine. Well, it's weird because like his like his performance makes sense in each scene that it's in, but it doesn't have a trajectory. It doesn't like I don't feel it. If anything, like he gets more animated towards the end of the movie. Like he's more animated when he's with Tom Sizemore and it's more he's more like he's more on the borderline of like a Nick cage performance. Whereas a lot of the rest of the movie, it's just him sort of staring off into. Yeah. I kind of feel like his different layers and levels come along with who he's partnered with too. You know, we talked about how it's so jarring that he goes from one partner to the other, to the other. And, you know, growing up around an ambulance service and going on ride alongs and being around paramedics my entire life, you know, seeing the guys when they would do 24 hour shifts and they'd be out all night in the back of a truck and how it does make you start to lose your mind and you lose and granted it was nowhere near New York city level. I'm sure it's 5,000 times worse. I, where I grew yeah. up is not even close, but the effects of, you know, the crazy stupid calls and the idiocy and then the tragic calls and you haven't slept because you've been on a 24 hour shift. And as soon as you lay down, you get back up and then you're paired with this partner and then you're paired with this partner. And it's going to gel differently, whoever you're with, you know? So to me, I think what I liked about the movie, or I don't even know if I want to say liked, but what I could relate to is more personal to me, but that's what I could see in some aspects of the different layers of his performances. I could see different people I've seen go through the burnout or go through the hard calls or go through the calls where, you know, 
something crazy happens. So I think probably if I took out, and I really thought about this, like if I took out what it personally reminds me of, would I feel the same way? I, I don't think I would. I think I probably would have liked it less. Um, but I can read a lot of the intention in what he's doing and in what they're doing, even with the music, and it makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think I think I think the order of the the other paramedics is the right order. Um, jo- he he and John Goodman have sort of like almost a father son kind of relationship. You feel like John Goodman's kind of protective of him. At least that's how I felt about it. That like well, he's safest when he's with John Goodman. Yeah. Well, John Goodman's character is his normal partner. Right. He he only gets set with other people because John Goodman's character calls in. Okay. So like and then when he's with Ving Rames, like it's not that they don't like each other, but they just don't gel at all. Like they don't really have a relationship with one another. And then Tom Sizemore is completely insane. He's Tom Sizemore. <laughs> um, he's pa- Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore is a paramedic. Yeah. <laughs> and that was his former partner. Like they were partners before he and um, John Goodman's par- character. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were also, each of his partners kind of represents a different way of coping with the job, it feels yeah. like. Like, yeah, Goodman's checked out mentally, but, you know, he'll still do it. He's fine with it. He doesn't really care anymore. Ving Rames is completely unfazed and is really into it, but uh, makes it his own kind of fun, sort of, but uh, just to spread the gospel, it seems like. And then um, he just likes grandstanding. Exact, yeah, or being the center of it all. Yeah, I, I did like the way Nick Cage played along with him, or Frank played along with him when they revived the yeah, guy at the punk they club. they Narcan that guy. Um, yeah, exactly. And uh, and then Sizemore, yeah, is just a maniac, and you can imagine Nicholas K- or Frank probably um, degraded significantly in his mental faculties while he was paired with him, however long they were paired together. Well, it was also right if after they were, Nick Cage got done doing drugs at the apartment. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, I mean, if those two were partners and he was running around beating people up with Sizemore for a while, uh, it, yeah, it seems like he's in a weird transition phase that, and he's trying to figure out which which one of his partners he's going to end up like in the long By run. By the way, just so, it, just so I've said it, I did also notice that uh, – the the drug dealer's girlfriend or whatever you want to call her was uh <laughs> yep uh griggs from the wire so there's another wire mm. connection mm-hmm. yeah uh something i was gonna say too uh, was kind of i thought it was, i i mean it's just probably just part of the story from the novel but like i thought it was kind of crazy that sort that sort of the the paramedics sort of take matters into their own hands like and again, I know this is just a fictionalization of it all, but especially with like Tom Sizemore, where he's like, we got to we got to get this punk off the streets, you know, like it's like who dude, you're a paramedic. Yeah. Like what what sort of world is this? Well, you know, it starts with Nick Cage going, I feel like I need to go out and break something. Sure, sure. And Tom Sizemore like misunderstands what he's talking about because he's like, "I want to go break some windows or something." He's like, "You can't just go break some windows or some shit." Wait a minute, I want to kick this guy's ass. 
Let's go yeah, kick this guy's like, ass. What the fuck is that? <laughs> Uh, according to according to Tom Sizemore, uh, he and Mark Anthony did not get along. So I wonder if some of the some of that ass kicking was real. Wouldn't you love to know that story? I saw that. Well, I yeah, I I saw that too, and I wonder if there was, uh, if there was some coverage that they didn't get because of that. Because what like Nick Cage gets to the beating, it's over, essentially. Like they don't show Tom Sizemore like catch up to him or how he gets him. Like he's when he gets by the time he gets there, it's just over. And he's actually he's kind of walking. Uh, Frank is just sort of walking down that alleyway in a trance, and you can see the shadows, which are obviously someone beating somebody else with a bat. <laughs> and then he comes around the corner, and yes, he's beating Mark Anthony up with the bat, and Mark Anthony's out. So. Oh, right. So I I thought that this was a decent overall depiction of early 90s New York. This is like before Giuliani comes in and starts cleaning shit up and making Times Square Disney-fied and everything. Yeah, I think that's Um, why they set it back a few years instead of making it present day 99. Yeah. It made a big difference. I really appreciated that. Um, you know, one having lived in New York for a little while and sort of like knowing the streets. Although I'm, I'm the worst at this. Like I've, I do this with any shows that take place in New York or Los Angeles. Like I'll look where the location that says they're at. Like they'll be like, oh, you're <laughs> supposed to be at 44th and 8th or whatever. And then you can clearly see a sign or a subway that says 42nd. Mm. And you're just like, motherfuckers, that's not where that is. Um, like the build, like Hell's Kitchen, like the whole Hell's Kitchen area for me was just like not really what it was supposed to be like yeah. where they were saying it's like when a I mean, show was is just- set in the midwest and <laughs> you can see mountains in the background wasn't yeah. there like a scene yeah. in dexter right. where you could see mountains in the background it's like there's no yeah. fucking oh, mountains God. in miami oh absolutely <laughs> yeah 100 percent um so i i at least I, again like i said uh, to, t- to take away positives from it the grittiness i really enjoyed you know, just how, like, uh, it, it portrayed the early 90s New York situation and what that was like. Uh, so that was something for me. So as far as similar movies, recommendations, and stuff like that, I mentioned Leaving Las Vegas. Um, something else we could do as part of this would be um, recommend your favorite Martin Scorsese movie. Um, and mine would be The Departed. Uh, followed closely by The Wolf of Wall Street, but The Departed, I think, is is a better film. So, how about you guys? The Departed, 100%. I have to agree with that one. Uh, I, I'm not saying this to be esoteric, but the one I've seen the most and the one that I enjoy watching the most is After Hours, probably. Okay. Um, yeah, there's no uh, wrong well, answers here. I'm just... <laughs> I actually liked the uh, remake of Cape Fear. Okay. Yeah, I think just off the top of my head, Departed is probably my favorite. Um, I like Shutter Island, and I like The Irishman. Like I said, there's definitely some of his movies that I really enjoy. But yeah, The Departed stands out as one that I will always remember being like, that was a fucking movie, bro. Yeah. (laughs) No love for Goodfellas in here? 
Goodfellas. Oh yeah, yeah. I honestly, I I like Goodfellas a lot. I think Goodfellas is a really groundbreaking and well-made movie. Um, I think it is just a hair overrated. I, I think it's, I think it's just a bit overrated. Best scene in Goodfellas is when he pistol whips that dude. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, if if you if you want to talk about like the greatest things that have ever happened. Um, as far as Martin Scorsese movies, just anything Mark Wahlberg in The Departed is the greatest <laughs> thing that's ever happened. I'm not a Mark Wahlberg me. fan. You man. don't have to be. Uh, <laughs> you I love don't Wahlberg. have to be. Because I wasn't yeah, when I started watching that, that movie. Yeah, I'm surprised nobody said Casino. Cause that one's a pretty popular one. Casino's good. Goodfellas good. Uh, yeah, Chris. But I don't like crave watching it as much as as some of the other stuff. The Departed is one that I could watch probably every day and be okay watching it every yeah. day, and never get sick of it. I saw it three times in the theater. Yeah, uh, the I saw it at least was fantastic. twice. Fantastic. I'm, like I'm a huge DiCaprio fan, so. Uh, I thought I was gonna say I thought Hugo was was decent. I didn't forget he directed Hugo. <laughs> Hugo <laughs> is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Here's Hugo's great. It's one of the better uh, 3D movies out there. Yeah, uh, like to actually see you know presented in 3D, not just you know 3D animation, but an actual like we went and saw that in in 3D in the in the theater, and it was excellent. Totally for also forgot Gangs of New York. Yeah, it's a good movie. Love that one. I mean, I can't think of one I didn't mean like at all. I can't think matter. of one that I didn't like. I've never seen New York, New York, but I imagine it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I said that. I mean, my least favorite is I Stand by the Last Temptation of Christ, but I, I don't. That was him, right? I didn't dream that. Yes. Um, yeah. yep. But I don't think there was anything that I didn't like that i mean i'm looking through i'm i'm cheating and looking and i out of all the ones i've seen which is a lot i don't see anything where i'm like yeah that was a waste of my time have you watched last temptation of christ like as an adult or recently and no or did you just, and like kind of see it when it came out it's been years it has been years so i would i would be willing to rewatch and give it another I shot i feel like yeah i feel like the controversy overshadowed that movie a lot like I think that movie has something to it that's good, um, but that people just got up in arms about the subject matter and the depiction and and all of that sort of stuff. But I think I mean, I'll watch Willem Dafoe do just about anything. So uh, right, yeah. I mean, you watch the Antichrist. You've seen him do anything. <laughs> I mean, he still surprised me in Lighthouse. So, I, I love oh, Willem Dafoe. I want to see that one. I, I remember, I remember growing up like Last Temptation of Christ. You could not find it. It was it was banned. I, well, uh, yeah, because we live in the Midwest, and it was a big controversy, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which just made me want to see I was, it more. I was, I was in Catholic school when it came out, so <laughs> I was fucked. I was never going to get to see it. Um, <laughs> I was in my twenties before I saw it. So, uh, yeah, uh, Brooke, I feel like 
Lighthouse has recently. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime now. Yeah I, yeah, I saw it was on. I got to watch it. Man, it's it. a weird one. I, I have to so watch good. 190 hours of 90 Day Fiance first, and then I'll watch that. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly. <laughs> That's, I mean, priority. <laughs> Let's move to the top of the list. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear what you think about it. It's uh, There's people that absolutely hate it. Um, most, of, most of the people I know that, like, you know, go and see all the Best Picture nominees... Like people that are that those are the movies that they see every year. It's like, oh, if they got nominated for Best Picture, then they're worth seeing. There were a bunch of people like that that thought, you know, the Lighthouse had enough buzz to go out and see it, and they were like, "What the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> Why is it in black and white? Why is it shot like that? You know, yeah. what the yeah. fuck?" But man, it's there was a, I love there was Robert Eggers lot. movies. He he did uh, the Vich, the Vich was his last movie. That's an yeah, awesome movie. Dale, you had mentioned there was like a special format for the lighthouse that I really wanted to see it in. Um, and I struggled to find a showing of it when it was out in Los Angeles, which is crazy to me because we have so many art house places here that I should have been able to find it. But um, I still haven't seen it I, and I have it on my list. I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah, it's uh, it wasn't necessarily that the, the format was uh, hard to find. It was that the movie is shot in like 1.1 to 1 aspect ratio. So it's basically a square instead of being like a a wide landscape um, like most movies are. And so if you see that on, if you go to a multiplex, which is all we have out here, and they have it on their smallest, dinkiest screen, it's like watching it on a television because it's so small because it's a square um, versus going to a place that is showing it on a larger screen. So we, we had to drive like an extra half hour to go to a place that was showing it on a big, in in a big uh, auditorium versus a small one. Hmm. And that was worth it though. I, I really enjoyed it. It took me a bit after I watched it. I was like, and I, I have to, I have to decompress and, and figure out my feelings on this movie. Uh, but yeah. once I did, I was like, "Man, they, you know, that's a damn good movie." And Brooke, I might, I, I would actually recommend watching The Witch first. Okay, I, I have seen you The Witch. The yeah. I have seen that. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I have seen it. I was, I had forgotten. Yeah, I watched it a couple times. It was great. So his, I was his, really happy with his. It thing tends to be like he makes movies that feel like they were made in the time period that they're set in even though that's impossible yeah like they didn't make movies when puritans were around you know in early (laughs) america the the witch was another one like when we went and watched it for the review uh, i i was like man i really don't know how i feel about this movie but now it's it's up there in my favorites. It's the the way he makes movies. You're just like, I don't know if I liked this or not. I, I, don't, I don't know what's happening. That's the best kind of movie, though, that makes you feel like, well, I do. I like what this movie just did to me. <laughs> do I like the way I feel right now? <laughs> yeah. If you if you if you chew on it, if you think about it for a while, you know, or the more you think about it, and the more you kind of talk about it with people, the more you like it. Um, tends to be a thing. 
Um, I think the best movies, the really rare movies, are the movies that are entertaining and confusing, that it's enjoyable while you're watching it, but you don't really get it. And then after a while, it starts to sink in and you start to figure out what's happening. Um, the best example that I can think of off the top of my head would be Mulholland Drive. Yes. When you watch that Good movie, example. no idea what's happening, but it's enjoyable. It's funny. It's weird. It's silly. It it has like scary, frightening things that happen in it. And you walk out of the theater completely satisfied, but you're also like, but what did I watch? What was that? Yeah. And... Yeah. It it took it have, took me a week to figure out Mulholland Drive, like my theory of what that movie is. So I I have two of those off the top of my head. One is uh, Mother exclamation point. Yeah, uh, that people just fucking hated, and I just I just in, when I was watching it with like the other six people in the theater, <laughs> I was laughing my ass off, being like, "Oh, if you think it's a comedy, it's wonderful." Yeah. Um, so that was great. And then Midsummer, I watched with like two other people in the theater, uh, one of which walked out at one point and I was just like, I left, I left and I was like, that was fucking awesome. That was going to be my example. (laughs) Actually, that's exactly the movie I was thinking of when you said that. No mother, I have not brought myself to watch yet. I really want to, but I, I've been mentally preparing myself for so long yeah. because of so many different things. That I, I know nothing that happens, but so many varied reactions that I'm like, uh, I don't know if I'm ready. I'm actually recording a video tomorrow about Mother uh, for the Nashville Film Festival. Oh, so wow. uh, watch it and then watch my video. Cause, okay, yeah. fair enough. That's awesome. That'll yeah. be my incentive. <laughs> I wanted to say before we moved off completely, although I guess we have completely moved off bringing out the dead. If you liked it and you want to see Paul Schrader, Nicolas Cage, Willem Dafoe all working together, there's a movie called Dog Eat Dog from 2016. That's just batshit insane. And I I love it. It's hard to watch. But, uh, (laughs) oh, man. Uh, And it's based off a story by uh, Eddie Bunker, who played Mr. Blue in Reservoir Dogs. Nice. So... Yeah, because he was a criminal for years before he became an actor. Um, it's it's amazing and weird. And uh, yeah, if you like bringing out the dead, you should check out Dog Eat Dog, I think. All right on. Uh, I believe it is Zach's turn to pick a movie. Zach, what would you like for us to watch? Um, I don't know how many of you have seen this. Hopefully enough, it's, it might be fresh. But uh, The Hunt for the Wilder People. I saw it. I have not seen it. And it's I just on my watched list. that like two weeks ago. So, <laughs> it's a Taika Waititi movie. It's the one he made between um, What We Do in the Shadows and Thor. I'll watch anything that man has to make. Definitely, What We Do in Shadows yeah. Uh, yeah. was actually yeah. on my list eventually. So, oh, you haven't seen that either. Great. Oh, I have seen it. It was on my oh, list for so what I was going to recommend at some point oh, okay. or pick at some point. So, yeah. Everybody, uh, yeah, my white that's Kiki a, thunder there. That that's a movie I can recommend to anyone, for sure. Yeah, so freaking good. Leave me to do my dark bidding on the internet. <laughs> what are you bidding on? <laughs> a table. <laughs> <laughs> so many good jokes. I love that he he drops a um, 
what we do in the shadows joke in Thor when talking about the you you can use this weapon against like three vampires huddled together and there's like literally that's a scene from that was like so good. Yeah. I guess it would be good against like three vampires if they're very close. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Korg, uh, it's my favorite. Korg is awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that's my that's my pick. Sounds good. Well, thanks everybody for joining us uh, for the discussion, watching the movie, uh, and thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you on the next deeply discussing movie podcast. Thank you.